Bibles, it will be found on page uh, 1139. It's page 1139. And we're going to be reading from the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, from verses 12 to 34. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have been testified that God raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day, I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus... For merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. 
Morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Uh, one quick notice before we uh, begin. Uh, you, might have, you might remember we mentioned last week there's a guest service coming up next week, and there are some cards uh, just with some details of the service if you'd like to invite people. Uh, those are out in the foyer, so please do grab one after the service, or, or grab plenty if you'd like. Uh, let's pray and take a look at these words. Father God, thank you for uh, this passage, and we pray uh, that this morning you'd give us understanding, give us clarity of thought. Uh, please work in our hearts. Help us to uh, sit under your word as you intend us to, uh, and please would you make us more Christ-like as we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Lilia listens to, Lilia, my wife, listens to a, a podcast from time to time called uh, Salt, and each episode is a unique conversation with a, a Christian about their journey into the Christian faith and through the Christian life. And one episode was with a lady named Kirsten, who's a Christian author. And her main focus over the years has been on material for youth. And she mentions one of the books she wrote called What If? Uh, Dealing with Doubts. It's a question, what if? Dealing with Doubts. And in it, she comes up, uh, she asks some common what-if questions that she uh, has come across among youth over the years, uh, relating to God, Jesus, uh, the Bible, and ourselves. And instead of framing things in a, a negative way, as we often do when it comes to uh, things like doubt, instead of asking, what if God is not real, or what if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, uh, she frames things in a positive way, asking, what if God is real? What if Jesus didn't stay dead? What if I can trust the Bible? And she helpfully uh, answers a number of those questions uh, in a way that encourages youth and, and others to investigate their doubts from a position of faith rather than throw their faith out the moment it is challenged. Uh, and I mentioned the, the book, What If? Uh, because it's quite common in life for us to, to play the, the what if game, to ask questions like, what if I'm doing the wrong thing with my life? Uh, what if this thing I, I've been working towards doesn't work out? What if things don't get better? Many of us will, will play the what-if game at, at some point in our lives. And in fact, it's a, it's a thing that, that Paul plays this morning as we see in our passage. He plays it in regards to the resurrection of the dead. Because there are some people in Corinth who suggest that there is no resurrection of the dead. And so Paul shows the Corinthians the, the cost of thinking along those lines. And he shows them how the Christian faith hinges on the resurrection. Uh, and we'll see th three things about the resurrection this morning. But first, uh, we started the series in, in 1 Corinthians last year, and we, we picked it up again over the last couple of weeks. And we're at a section in the letter where, where Paul the Apostle, uh, a man who was set apart by God to proclaim the good news about Jesus, this man, uh, he's been addressing questions that the Corinthians had written to him and asked. And chapter 15 is all about something they've raised with Paul regarding the resurrection of the dead. And this is his response. Uh, and last week we saw Paul explain that the gospel centers on Jesus's death for our sin, as, as Andrew reminded us before, and Jesus being raised from the dead. That's the core of the gospel, the message that Paul had received and the message that he passed on to others like the Corinthians. And many of them had, had come to believe in Jesus through Paul and other apostles. 
But since then, there, there have been a number of worrying signs in the church. And, and today, uh, it's a sign around their, their belief regarding the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul tries to, to set them straight. And as I mentioned, there, there are three important lessons for us this morning. Uh, firstly, your faith depends on the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, this is verses 12 to 19. Uh, some of you here uh, will no doubt enjoy baking. And, and if you're baking a cake and you happen to forget the egg, that the cake will likely crumble because egg is a thing that kind of binds the cake together. And in a similar way, if, if you take away the resurrection of the dead, the Christian faith starts to crumble. That's what Paul shows in this first section. And he shows it by playing the what-if game. People in, uh, some people in the church in Corinth don't seem to believe that dead Christians will be one day raised. And so Paul says, Let, let's pretend for a minute that that's true. And there is no resurrection of the dead. And he shows them the, the logical progressions if that were true. He starts in verse 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then that means that not even Christ has been raised. Uh, and for some people, they'll hear that and they'll say, that's exactly what I think. But for the Corinthians, uh, many of them know Jesus was raised from the dead. They know the, evident that, uh, the evidence that points to it, the number of people who saw the risen Jesus, including over 500 at once, some of whom were still alive for the Corinthians to, to verify, verify it with. They believed it. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, the Christian faith crumbles. That means Jesus wasn't raised either. That's the natural conclusion you have to draw if you don't believe that there's a resurrection of the dead. And sadly, there, there are people who would call themselves Christians who don't believe that there is a resurrection. There are even some people in, in ministry positions who, who hold this type of view. And maybe you're someone who's been led to believe that it doesn't really matter whether you believe in a resurrection or not. Maybe you've been led to think that it's enough to just appreciate Jesus, the things that he teaches, and it's enough to come to church and spend time with other Christians. Well, Paul has some helpful insights on the cost of having such an approach. And he points to his own life at this point. Uh, he acknowledges that if there is no resurrection from the dead, he would be wasting his life, preaching about something that, that never happened, He's a false witness or a liar. Uh, I learned this week that the youth of today refer to lying as capping. Telling a lie is called capping. Don't, don't ask me why. Uh, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Paul is capping. He's lying. And, and before we decide that that doesn't really affect us, uh, we see in verses 14 and 15 that any of us who have faith in Jesus, well, that faith is also useless. No resurrection of the dead means Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And that means that sin has not been defeated. So verse 17, we are still in our sins. And just think about what that means for us. It means that we're not at peace with God. Uh, forgiveness is something so crucial in the, in the Christian life. Uh, we've already heard that through the service before uh, and after we confessed our sins together. And later we'll be hearing more about forgiveness as we share the Lord's Supper together. And we're even going to uh, be singing about forgiveness later when we sing the song, Resurrection. A and one line says, I'm not going to embarrass myself by singing like last week. Uh, the line says, Resurrection, sins forgiven. Sins forgiven. 
Sin weigh, uh, weighs us down, it, it burdens us, it brings guilt, it brings shame and fear. And if we're still in our sins, then our faith is, is pointless. We're, we're wasting our time. There's no point putting your faith in Jesus if you don't think he actually did what he said. No resurrection means he hasn't conquered sin or death. Uh, and if you say you're a Christian but don't believe in a resurrection of the dead, it completely confuses Paul. Why would you even bother trying to show you have some sort of faith? Uh, find something better to do. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then God is a liar. And it means that those who have died in Christ, uh, Christians who have died, there is no hope for them. There never was. There's no point pretending like we'll see them again if we don't believe there's a resurrection of the dead. Uh, one of the things that many of us cling to when our loved ones have died in Christ is the hope of seeing them again one day in the resurrection. No resurrection, then no hope for the future. It all comes crumbling down. And I love how, how Paul refers to death for the Corinthians as, as falling asleep. And the reason, of course, is because people wake up after sleep. Sleep is a, a temporary thing, but without a resurrection of the dead, it, it's no longer sleep. It is permanent. Our faith depends on Jesus' resurrection. And, and if there is no resurrection, we are to be pitied more than all men, says Paul. No resurrection, then we're crazy to, to try and live our lives based around one man. Absolutely crazy. We're saying God is a liar, but we're actually happy to go along with the lie. It's completely bizarre. Your faith, my faith, depends on this resurrection of the dead. And... Uh, and so we come to the, the second part of the passage in, in verses 20 to 28. And the second point is that your future is certain because of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, we seem to have a lot of cats in our neighborhood. I think I've mentioned that previously. And uh, occasionally I, I catch one of them doing its business in the backyard. And I, I do my best to scare it off. And if you've ever seen a, a cat trying to get away, uh, you'll know that they can fit through some, some very tight gaps uh, apparently most cats judge what they can get through by their whiskers. Uh, if, if their head can get through, then their body will get through as well. Now sadly that doesn't work for humans, uh, as our daughter found out recently, sticking, sticking her head through the banister. Uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to thinking about the resurrection, believe it or not, uh, a cat can actually be helpful for us. Because just as uh, the head of a cat getting through a gap indicates that the body will get through as well, so also, Jesus' resurrection indicates that his people will also be raised. Jesus is the head, and we are the body of Christ. And, and that's what Paul reminds the Corinthians of in this section. And it's a, a wonderfully uplifting section. Uh, we've had the what-if part, which, is, which has got the, the potential to kind of crush a person if, if Paul just left things there. But he doesn't. He starts with, this, with that great contrast word in verse 20. But, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And that means all of those hypotheticals from, from the first section are reversed. It means that there is forgiveness for our sins. Everyone in this room needs that forgiveness that the resurrection of Jesus confirms. Uh, deep down, I think we know that we need God's acceptance and, and the resurrection reminds us that we have it. It means our faith in Jesus is well-placed. 
Uh, I think most of us would agree that we love having people in life that we can, we can trust with anything. But even those people let us down from time to time. Jesus is the one who, who never lets us down, who loved us perfectly and, and gave himself for us. And the resurrection of the dead means that the message of the apostles is true. Uh, where the world says, uh, choose, choose your truth, we know God tells us what is objectively true and, and shows us right from wrong. And the resurrection of the dead means that those who have died in Christ are not dead, but asleep. And one day they will be raised. And I know that's of, of immense comfort to, to many of us who have lost loved ones or, or face the prospect of, of losing our loved ones. Now Paul continues uh, unpacking this in verses 22 and 23. Uh, and notice he mentions Adam uh, from all the way back in, in Genesis, the start of the Bible. Because through Adam, death entered the world and all die. Uh, and so also in Christ, those who are in Christ, all will be made alive. Now, Jesus is, is referred to as, as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, and you may have come across that idea of, of first fruits before. Uh, maybe you've planted your own, own fr uh, fruit tree before. Uh, and after patiently waiting, maybe months or even years, you finally see that the first fruit emerge. And it's a sign, of course, of what is to come. One brings many. The first is the, mind, uh, the milestone that, that points to the many. And so it is with Jesus. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And when he returns, his people will be raised as well. The first guaranteeing the many. That's the, that's the point being made in these verses. Just as Jesus' death came through a man, so also the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. But verse 22 reminds us it's through different men. Uh, we're all like Adam from, from Genesis. It, we all die, but some people die in Christ, and, and like Christ, will be made alive after death. Christ has been raised, and that means one day we will be raised if we belong to him. Now you might be thinking, hang on, uh, when we look at the Bible, Jesus isn't actually the first person to be raised from the dead. What about people like Lazarus uh, and Jairus' daughter and others? And I think there's a, there's a difference here in that uh, when people in the past were raised from the dead, it was temporary. They would eventually die again. But Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead and not die again. And we know from the Bible that after he was raised, he ascended to heaven and is now seated at God's right hand. And as we're given this, this picture of Adam and Christ, we will all follow after one of them. But to those who trust in Christ, we have that promise of being raised. Jesus overcame the grave, making a way for us to one day also overcome the grave. Uh, and when will that day be? Uh, verses 24 to 28 make it a little bit clearer for us. It says, The end will come when he, has when, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Uh, and we see this in this section that Jesus' resurrection uh, affects things on a, on a global scale. It's not just a, a personal hope that you and I have. It, a it's a global one as Jesus ushers in this new creation where all things are under his rule. All dominion and power and authority in this world destroyed. Everything that is opposed to Jesus will be crushed beneath him. Those that seem indestructible will be brought low under his feet. I think that's what Philippians 2 is getting at uh, when it says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Everything under Jesus, including the last enemy, death, uh, which we see in verse 26. Death in this life always seems to, to get the last word, doesn't it? But that won't always be the case. We have a future beyond death, and that's something that should bring us immense comfort. In a world where uncertainty leads us to, to worry and anxiety, we're given this certainty about our future. Jesus was raised and we too will be raised. And your future is, is certain because of the resurrection. And that means, thirdly, that your present should be shaped by Jesus' resurrection. This is 29 to 34. Uh, we're so used to thinking in, in terms of our, our present shaping our future. Uh, what we do today will shape who we are and who we'll be tomorrow. Uh, and that's part of the reason why, why society is, is so focused on the here and now. But for the Christian, we're, we're called to think counterculturally. We're heading towards this future where we will be raised and, and we will be with Christ. And so we're called to live with that in mind. Now in these uh, final verses, Paul goes back to, to playing the what-if game. And verse 29 leaves a lot of us scratching our heads, uh, where it says, Now... If there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? Why indeed? Uh, it's one of those verses you, you occasionally come across in the Bible where uh, we're given very little context and, and we're left with more questions than we are answers. Uh, and partly this is because we weren't the original recipients of the letter. Uh, I'm sure it would have made complete sense to the Corinthians. But what is this baptism for the dead? Uh, as you can imagine, there, there are many, many suggestions about what it could mean. Uh, based on the context, I think Paul is making his argument by pointing to a practice that, that happened in the city of Corinth at the time. He's not endorsing it, nor is he speaking against it. He's just showing the fact that some people did this. And the Corinthians took no issue with that as a way of showing that uh, it wouldn't be done unless people believed there is something after death. And I don't think it, it's strange to make arguments based on, on what others think uh, or believe or do, even when you, might, uh, you yourself might not approve of those things. Because that's what Paul did earlier in the letter in, in chapter 8 when he spoke about eating a meal in an idol's temple w without initially saying anything about the eating itself being wrong. Uh, and I think we, we do this as well at times. We, we'll point to the beliefs or, or the values of someone else to make our point even if we don't hold to those beliefs or, or values ourselves. So I think he's just making his point here without making a comment on the, the practice itself. Uh, now, I should be clear, Scripture nowhere affirms that, that, that baptism for the dead is, is something that should be done. Uh, in the early church, there are writings that show that there was evidence of this type of false teaching, baptizing people for the dead who hadn't been baptized. Uh, and I think that's one of the issues with Mormons today as I think they hold a, a very similar view. But that's not the battle that Paul is, is fighting in this passage. He's saying it, it's widely accepted, there is something after death, so the resurrection of the dead shouldn't really be a problem. Uh, and at this point, he goes back to the, the what-if game by saying in verse 30 that if there's no resurrection of the dead, it makes no sense for him and, and the other apostles to endanger themselves in the ways that they do. 
every hour they're in danger. Uh, he's been through uh, spiritual battles, and I think that's what the, the wild beasts in Ephesus may be a reference to. Uh, so opposed to the gospel were, were the people of his day. Why would they put themselves through that sort of danger if there was no resurrection? That's his point in, in verses 31 and 32 as well. They'd be better, better off living large in this life. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't waste your time thinking about the future. Just live for the here and now. Live large, have a blast, because it will all come to an end one day. And that is, of course, how so many were living in the, the city of Corinth and how so many continue to live their lives today in the city of Christchurch, as if this life is all that there is. We're told that what we do today will impact who we are tomorrow, so do more, be better, accumulate more, get ahead of others today and, and make the most of it. And all the while, many continue to ignore the life to come. And you and I do this at times as well, don't we? We get invested in the, in the here and now, and we forget to remind ourselves that there is a life to come. And because there are trials in life, uh, we find ourselves thinking only of this life, and it, and it sucks away any sort of joy that we have or should have around what God has secured for us in the future. We forget that one day we will be raised. We will be with our God, fully satisfied in, in a way that we have never been satisfied before. Some of us are looking for satisfaction now in a way that God doesn't promise us. But Paul says, let, let Jesus' resurrection and your resurrection be the things that shape your life. Now, the church in, in Corinth needed to hear that message, uh, and I suspect we do as well. Uh, which is why f Paul finishes with this warning in verses 33 and 34. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Now the picture we're given here is of, of people who are being led astray, becoming like the world. Uh, and notice how, how direct Paul is here. Stop sinning. He doesn't beat around the bush. Come to your senses. If you're living life and there's really no difference between the way you live and, and the way your neighbor lives or, or your non-Christian friends or, or colleagues or classmates are living, those people who, who don't believe in a life to come, then hear Paul's warning. You have a future in heaven, so start living as though you do. Now that might mean giving more of your time to the things that God is most concerned with. It may mean reconsidering the ways you actually remind yourself of the life to come. Uh, perhaps the things you prioritize. Uh, instead of going on your third vacation for the year, maybe the conference that will spiritually refresh you and, and help you uh, live now in light of what's to come will be the best option. It may also mean uh, telling others about the hope of the life to come and looking for those opportunities to do that. Whether you're a teenager or, or middle-aged, whether you're single or married or widowed or divorced, whether you've got the, the prized gold card yet or not, the resurrection must shape your life. Uh, there is a great cost to us if we don't believe God when he tells us the dead in Jesus will be raised. Uh, and it's great seeing the ways that the resurrection does shape many of your lives. But of course, there, there's much that others don't see. And so like the Corinthians, we need to be clear on, on what we believe 
about the resurrection and we need to live lives that reflect what we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And we need God's help to be able to do any of that. Uh, and that's one thing we can be praying for, for each other. Uh, so why don't we spend some time doing that now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And thank you that it uh, guarantees that we too will one day be raised. And Father, we know that uh, we find it hard at times to uh, look forward to that uh, and to live our lives presently uh, in light of that. So we ask that you would help us, help us to see the importance of, of believing uh, what you tell us about the resurrection and help us to, to look forward to that day when we will be raised with great joy, uh, when the dead in Christ will be raised as well. Lord, help us to keep persevering now in light of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.